DJ and PK, joined now by David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. And David joins us on the T-Mobile special guest line, T-Mobile and Sprint, coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. David's appearance each week is brought to you by Murdoch Auto Team. David, good morning. Good morning, EJ. How are you, PK? Great. Good. Glad to hear it. We are curious. There's much made of, you know, the Jazz and who do they want to play in the playoffs and all that. Uh, and Jazz fans all have their opinions. Who do you think the Nuggets wanted to play in the playoffs? Oh, I think if we're, if we're honest about it, the Jazz were the team that everyone wanted to play, right? Without Boyan Bogdanovich, like, if you're the Lakers and you had the first choice, you were taking the Jazz, right? Like, if the, the Lakers that. had to draft... Lakers, they, didn't want, they don't want Portland with their two bigs. And so then it's then you might not want Dallas because of Luka. So, um, you know, you're taking either Dallas or Utah at that point. I think that's, you know, and that's I'm not trying to be controversial or hot takey. Like, we're missing a 21-point-a-game score. We're a, very, we're a very different team than we were during the regular season. I, mean, I think that's what's so impressive about what Quinn and his staff did in this time period is they actually just kind of remade the entire... They used... It was really interesting. Mike Wells has been joining us in the second and fourth quarters of our broadcast. And Mike Wells said that they used... I mean, that they had just kind of endless Zoom meetings and they used the 60 games to figure out what they thought the flaws in their team were and and understand they didn't have Boyan and to rebuild the team, not to try to recreate what they had before, but to completely change the way the team was playing. So to take more threes, play faster, more catch-and-shoot threes, try to force more turnovers, um, be a little bit more aggressive than they had been since they're going to be smaller but quicker, um, and that they used that time to completely remake the team. And then, you know, and then the second goal was to see, you know, the Jazz have done a really great job in their developmental league. Bart Taylor was the GM of the year for the G League, and Martin Schiller was the coach of the year in the G League. And, that you know, that organization's built that really well. And then take the time in the bubble to give – those four primary guys, you know, 60 to 90 minutes of playing time against NBA opponents and see what you got. And I think they found out that they, they probably have two, possibly two regular rotation players and a third that certainly can be viable. And the fourth, all four of them can be viable. You would take the Jazz over in the short term, the Rockets without Westbrook? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, Harden's just a virtuoso. So you talk about the Jazz being remade, uh, but the Nuggets are really a different team than they were in those first 60-whatever games, aren't they? Well, with Michael Porter Jr. now as their starting small forward, that's a that's a different player. I think that's going to be maybe one of the under kind of storylines of this is, is Michael Porter Jr., as inexperienced he is, but unbelievably talented, ready to impact the playoff series either way. So are the Jazz going to go after him in every single pick and roll? And if he's guarding Joe Ingles, that we're just going to see Joe Ingles, Rudy Gobert pick and rolls with Michael Porter Jr. trying to get through, since Torrey Craig will be draped all over Donovan. Um, and then on the other end, you know, is Michael Porter Jr. there, release valve score? Jamal Murray and Jokic do a great job, but, you know, what – Millsap's aged significantly, and Jeremy Grant's a really nice player, but he's not that. Will Barton and Gary Harris are beat up, so then does Michael Porter Jr., average, I think, 22 points a game in the bubble, become their third scorer 
he's just and he and he's a knockdown shooter. He's a forty four percent catch and shoot guy. Um, six people don't know him. He's six ten. He was the number one high school player in the country. He actually played around going to a bunch of different schools. He went to Nathan Hale in Seattle when his dad got a coaching job at the University of Washington. And then on uh, Lorenzo Romar got fired, so he didn't hold that recruit. So then he went to Missouri, played nine games, ended up with a back injury. And then when he came out of the draft, uh, he slipped because he was going to have back surgery again. It's kind of stunning how much he slipped just with his skill set. And he's just, I mean, he's been, he hasn't gotten the pub, but he's been every bit as, as impressive as Zion um, this year, kind of as, as a rookie big name putting it together. I think his true shooting percentage is actually better than Zion. So I mean, he's really, he's really incredible. Is Jokic the best all-around center in the NBA? Yeah, I mean, I think um, there's a comp out there on Jokic. There's Larry Bird. And I actually think it's pretty good. So kind of to wrap your head around where I'm going with that, Jokic gets 98 touches of the basketball game. That's the He and Luka are the highest two players in the NBA. So now stop thinking of him as like a 7-1 center. Start thinking of him as like a 7-1 point, point guard. And then he, there's a stat that's kept by B-Ball Index, which is uh, called team share percentage. So the amount of time you have the ball for your team. And Jokic has the ball 23% of the time, which is the most by any player on any team. So Jokic has the ball for Denver more than Chris Paul does for Oklahoma City, Trey Young for Atlanta, Harden for Houston. Like, think about some of those ball-dominant players we have in this league. Jokic actually has it more. Um, so this is a 7-1 point guard playing at the top of the key with the most handoffs of any team in the league. And it's, it's incredible. Um, and then, you know, add in that he's 7-1 so that, as we saw in the last matchup, he no longer plays Rudy straight up. He's always struggled against Rudy and Faves. He's played, he's played poorly against us. But this year he's changed. He's got room. He's got space. He's going out and isolating on that wing and then just bumping and backing and backing Rudy in. And inevitably Rudy reaches at some point and picks up a foul. Um, he, you know, he's been good when against Rudy. He's had massive games against us. The numbers when you actually isolate just Rudy guarding him, he's okay. He's not. He's good. He's not like great. He's shooting fifty three percent. Their offensive rate, offense is about a one oh four. Um, so that's down considerably. Um, I'm babbling, but I've done a lot of work, so I apologize. Um, one thing I think is really interesting in this series is that both these teams kind of exploded on January one. Uh, Denver started the year really poorly. Jokic was out of shape. Uh, they had a bunch of really bad offensive games. They got going. We made all the trades, got going. Since then, uh, many of our worst offensive games have come against each other. So as much as everyone's going to talk about this as an offensive series, for whatever reason, both these teams, neither of these teams are great defensively, but both these teams have been able to have relative defensive success against each other. So as you've watched these games, obviously he dropped a lot of weight. Uh, during the whole time the NBA was shut down. And, you know, that's first off, I think people always thought he was a little heavy and out of shape. And if you had an advantage against him, it was put in somebody who can run and, and run him up and down the court and try to beat him down and, and, and wear him down, right? You might get some easy buckets along the way, and then hopefully he's a little gassed in the fourth quarter and doesn't play as well and misses shots. 
He dropped the weight, that's great, but he dropped so much weight, people wonder, well, he's really good at what Ron Boone always calls, you know, using your body and using your body to create space. He's the master of a little bump with the shoulder and then a quick shot before you regain your balance so you can't get up. Has has that weight loss hurt him at all? Because obviously it was going to help him a little bit. His conditioning wasn't great. But that size that he was using so well, does he miss it? I didn't see that. Um, in fact, I saw him kind of dominate the fourth quarter in overtime, right? Yeah, better shape. Um, I talk, I, right. You know, I talked to Adam Morris uh, of the Locked On Nuggets yesterday for a show, and um, his viewpoint is that Jokic is always game-managed. You know, he just is not a 48-minute-a-night player that he'll manage the game and then dominate when he needs to. I think we've seen that all three times we played them this year. Um, so even the last one, I thought his footwork looked better. Like, there's the play where, I mean, he was in the key for 17 seconds, but that footwork was pretty incredible. Um, and got Rudy six foul. Um, and, yes, it should have been three in the key. It doesn't take away the foot. The footwork was amazing. I think the footwork's better without the weight right now. So um, I thought he looked every bit as good as he was before. So you say, you say this opportunity here that these young guys have gotten to play has given them an opportunity to get into the rotation. So who are they and what the what is the rotation going to be and who's going to get fewer minutes based on somebody else who's played well? Well, there's 31 minutes to be had because Bogdanovich is out. And, you know, frankly, Joe was already playing 30 and Royce was already playing 32 and Donovan was only playing 34 and Mike was playing 29. Like there, there, there aren't a lot of, those guys can only eat up so many of those 31. So you're still, I think, trying to figure out who's taking the 31. Um, you know, I think the five guys I just mentioned, will all add about or four guys I mentioned plus Clarkson will all eat about two or three more. So that's probably 15 of the 31. So you're really looking for 15 minutes out of someone. And I actually think it's going to be Mia One. Uh, I think Oni is, um, it's Oni, excuse me. Um, I, I think Oni is, is shown that he's, he can play as the fifth best player on the floor. He can knock down enough shots. He's got a defensive presence. Um, so I think he'll get it. Rajon Tucker would, could be a possibility of some of those 15 minutes. He, he has a defensive force to him. This, I think he took 17 free throws in the bubble, maybe 19. It's really an impressive number. Um, and so depending on where the game is and if they, who they have on the floor defensively, if you think he can take advantage, you might play him. Um, I don't know how this series plays out that Jarrell Brantley plays, but I think Jarrell Brantley is intriguing enough that you, you could probably see him playing um, down the road a little bit. I'm curious to see what Denver does at backup center in this series. Um, they have Mason Plumley, who's really good. He's one of the few backup centers in the NBA that's big. Most backup centers in the NBA now are skilled players that, that aren't, you know, that kind of seven-footer. But Plumlee's one of the best passers in the league um, for a big. That's why he compliments Jokic so well. However, in the previous games, they went to Jeremy Grant at center for brief stints, and every time they did it, they had great success. And if they go to Jeremy Grant at center, I don't know what we do to counter that. Um, we just don't have that roster spot right now unless it's Darrell Brantley. I, mean, I think that's this is that'd be a big jump for him. Um, so that, I think that's an intriguing little aspect to this series. Like, if they can get your... If they can get Jeremy Grant trying to be guarded by Tony Bradley, that's a problem for us. Um, so I don't, and we need to have uh, Gobert and Jokic for most minutes. I mean, one of the other keys to the series is somebody else has got to guard Jokic for a few minutes, not just Rudy, the whole time. And in the 13 minutes in which Jokic was not guarded by Gobert in the regular season, he went four for four with eight assists. They were plus 15. So they ate the Jazz up. 
<laughs> the yeah, same. Pretty, 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 like enough to lose you an entire series. So can Royce O'Neal spend five minutes on Jokic and have Rudy drop off him and play kind of a mid-zone guarding so Torrey Craig or someone who's a non-shooter? Can, can you know, Terrell Brantley come in with his huge body and somehow as a rookie handle five minutes on Jokic? I mean, I think that'd be a really tough matchup. So um, I don't, I'm not suggesting that's a great idea. Um, I, I don't, I don't know what we're doing, and, you know, um, for any minutes that Rudy's not available to guard Jokic. I think that's a huge part of the storyline here. You have been uh, preaching threes for a long time, and certainly we've seen the league go there. And then we've seen guys like uh, Steph Curry and and JJ Redick, you know, and and they'll take shots two, three steps off that three-point line. Now Logo Lillard is out here firing away 35 and 40 footers. I mean, are this kind of like highlights and we can talk about them and be amazed by them? Or is this like somewhere the game is going to trend in five years and it's basically going to be unrecognizable to the game we grew up with? Uh, depending on how old you are, I guess it already is unrecognizable. But, you know, it won't, it won't even look like the NBA looked like 10 or 15 years ago. Well, I think it's real. Um, I actually gave a presentation, an analytics presentation this summer um, to a group, and my main presentation, my main kind of lasting thing was that the 34-foot-3 is the next thing. Um, the math on it is actually good. Um, remember, the math on the mid-range shot is really bad. The math on the mid-range shot is about 0.4, uh, or excuse me, 0.8 points per shot. So if you can start figuring that out, you only have to shoot 30% on these long shots to actually make them better. And then some things happen, have happened over the last two years that have made them more prevalent. So teams like Toronto and Boston and Milwaukee have completely committed to denying the rim defensively. That's the next trend. That's what everyone's going to do. Everyone's dropping the big. Everyone's keeping the big at the rim. Um, it's where Rudy has amazing value. But the floor has become too spread that you can't guard both. If you actually look down the statistics of all the teams in the league right now, other than the Jazz, most of the teams that deny shots at the rim, which you should, by the way, because that's a you know, 65-70% shot, um, are the highest volume of three-point shooters allowed. So the answer is that the offense just spread themselves out further. And so whether it's Lillard walking into a three, which was last night, or just guys starting Eric Gordon of Houston spacing himself five feet behind the three-point line, that's, that's going to be the next step. It just creates more space. Um, and it's there. The secondary one that's happening in this league this year, that's the big next big trend in Michael Porter Jr. could really be this is the eight or nine threes a game by a six foot seven or taller player. So in other words, players that are so tall that their shooting window is always available to them and they can really shoot it. And so suddenly Davis Bertans and Duncan Robinson are taking you know, eight, nine threes a game. Um, and, you know, if they're hitting 33 to 40% of them, they're great shots. So that's kind of, Joe doesn't have that release, um, but there's a similarity kind of the way Joe at six, seven, six, eight has done um, a bunch of things in this league just because of his size. So, yes, I think Logo Lillard, that was maybe an extreme shot, but maybe not, right? Like, um, if you dig into what ha- the numbers are offensively for most teams when they get to the half court, they're not great. So if you've got a three-point shot, you're going to hit 35% of the time. It's actually a pretty good idea. We heard earlier that Mike Conley's wife was uh, pregnant and he may need to leave. Do we know the status of that as far as when she's due and all that? 
So I heard it was the 27th, so I don't know. Oh, it was later in the month? Yeah. But playing every other day with that schedule, yeah. I, I, can't, I can't see if he goes to the birth of his kid, right? You know, fine. Um, I just want to make sure the tone of my sentence was correct there. Um, you know, I can't see it being any less than four games. I mean, this other, unless right. we, you know, maybe we, sh- we need to sweep the Nuggets, let him go home, have the baby, and then come back while Dallas pushes the Clippers to seven. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'm for that. Yeah, we're gonna sign off on yeah. that. Sure. Okay. Make that happen. <laughs> I mean, that's real. Yeah. We'll. we'll I'll, I'll text Quinn today and make Don't. sure he understands what that needs to be. What happens? There'll be very little complaining. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious about what you think about these other playoff series. Uh, any of the lower seeds uh, more or less likely to pull upsets? Any crazy predictions, guarantees you want to throw out? Call your um, shot now. Got, sure. I've got two hot takes. Uh, maybe. Um, I think the Celtics are way better than anyone realizes. The amount of teams in the NBA over the last eight years have been top five in both offense and defense are really, really slim. Um, the only one that hasn't had massive playoff success was that Atlanta Hawks team under Mike Budnolzer. Um, but I, so I think that Boston is, is maybe better than people realize. And I think is a very legitimate title contender. Now they got to get through Toronto and Milwaukee. Um, but I think they're really good. Um, the second one is, I think I, I, I said this before they started playing badly, um, and maybe things are going to break all right for them, but when I prepped the Lakers for our second game, I, I, I went to Ron before the broadcast started, and I said, you know, I've done this for 12 years, and every time I've prepped the championship team, I've known it. That's, this is not a championship team. Um, and hear me out on this. They're 19th in the league in half-court offense. Um, that's even before they struggled in the bubble. Um, they only have one player on their entire roster who's above average on an isolation play. You know what? It's not a beautiful play, but the playoffs get down to that. Everyone knows everyone's plays, knows what you're doing. Um, they're 19th in the league in three-point shooting. We haven't had a champion that's been 19th in the league in three-point shooting. It's not top 10 three-point shooting team. It's pretty hard to win these days. Um, they're predicated. One of their things, and I picked up and was watching Anthony Davis against us, is that Anthony Davis plays the four they're in transition, I think, 19.6% of the time. When he plays the five, they're in transition about 16% of the time. Well, if they play the Rockets, they can't play JaVale McGee or Dwight Howard. So Anthony Davis has to be the five. I then went and watched some film on it. It's interesting. When Anthony Davis is playing the four, he's not always down for rebounding. So what happens is they get the rebound. He's already at 15, 18 feet. He's off. And then the long outlet comes, and he is unstoppable in that. He got to Jess six times on plays like that. And a lot of times, teams are cross-matching so that, you know, we want Rudy Gobert guarding Anthony Davis, but Anthony Davis is guarding Royce O'Neal. And so the rebound comes, and Anthony Davis is gone, and his guy's four, four feet, ten feet behind him. Well, if, if the Rockets are playing P.J. Tucker and Robert Covington as their centers in that matchup, then there's Anthony Davis got to play the five. Um so I, you know, Russell Westbrook's probably got to get healthy, and maybe more importantly, Eric Gordon's got to get healthy. Um, but if the Rockets can go by the Thunder, I like the Rockets to beat the Lakers. We saw as the uh, bubble season progressed, then during the eight games, the shootings for the Jazz started off poorly and got better. You think that there is any particular reason beyond the obvious that it was just a matter of time? Uh, there could have been some. Con- so it's interesting, like George Niang's been nicked up a little bit, so like on him you would say it's conditioning, but you're certainly not conditioning on Jordan Clarkson. 
that dude's in shape every second of the day. So um, I think it might have just been ad- adaptation of the environment, and then it also just could have been, you know, small sample size. Um, you know, I think George finished, what, um, 11 of 33 from three. So, you know, after starting at 5%, he's up to 33%, so he's trending back towards 40%. Um, Clarkson, I think, is a little higher. Clarkson's overall catch-and-shoot numbers are back up to 40% for the season, which is pretty incredible. And that's how the Jazz win, guys. Jazz have seven guys who shoot 40% or better on catch-and-shoot threes. So there's two storylines floating out there for title teams that would be, we think, largely unprecedented. And I'm wondering if you got any comparisons. One would be if Kawhi Leonard wins back-to-back titles with different teams, his third title with a third different team. I was came up with one close comparison that isn't perfect, but it's ballpark. And then the other storyline is if the Raptors lose the best player on the title team and then we're able to repeat. I mean, they're second in the East, and you just talked up the Celtics, so they could be out in the second round, right? Boston could take them out there. But if they did it, anything compared to either of those storylines if they happen? So the Raptors one is like we see in college basketball all the time, right? Keith Van Horn graduates and Andre Miller then leads the team to the Final Four. Um Revan Knight graduates, Arthur Lee leads Stanford. Like that actually was the same year, old reference. But we see that a lot in college. Um, we actually saw it in college football too, right? Peyton Manning left and T. Martin led them to the national championship. Um, but I don't know that we've ever seen it where they actually won the title and then go do it again with a different group. We do see kind of that superstar leaves and the team collects on the backside. Um, Will Chamberlain won how many titles? One or two? Two. One with different, one with the Sixers, one with the Warriors. Uh, Lakers. No, the second one with Lakers, the Lakers. Right. So, um, yeah, the Warriors only have, only have the one. Um, so that's one example. Walton won two titles, Boston, but and he was kind of a fringe player by Boston with the injuries. I, I had Sha- um, I had Shaq with Miami and the Lakers, and then he yeah. went with Orlando. They didn't win it, obviously; they got swept. But he went to right. with a third team. That was the one I came up with. Yeah, that's a pr- that's a pretty good one. Um, you're right. Those are both really, I mean, I think Kawhi would be, Kawhi is, Kawhi in this bizarre is going to be this bizarre player who actually emulates the new era of basketball and the player movement while simultaneously being completely contradictory to the era of Instagram and publicity. So I think he, he's a really interesting kind of, societal piece and sociological experiment of the way you would look at him because on one end that this player movement and forcing his way out of San Antonio and disruption and then you know going to Toronto with them willingly saying fine we'll take one year we have no chance to win a championship with DeRozan and Lowry so we'll take the championship with you and go ahead and leave and then you know then he goes to a no-name franchise in the Clippers Um, it's pretty fascinating um, while simultaneously, you know, being the fun guy. He's David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. His appearance every week brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, thanks for stopping by, and we will talk to you again next week. My pleasure. Uh, one thing to keep an eye on, Donovan Mitchell shooting about 23% when guarded by Torrey Craig. See what the Jazz can do to move Donovan Mitchell off Torrey Craig.